Hey, you. Yeah, you. Do you have an idea for a great new podcast? Well, you can bring your idea to life and start your podcast today with Libsyn. Telehell has been on Libsyn for, oh my God, how many years has it been by now? And we love it. Libsyn has everything you need to plan, launch, and grow your own podcast. Libsyn provides some of the best resources created by expert podcasters who will show you everything you need to know, like what equipment you should use, how to record great audio, how to get your show onto Apple Podcasts and other popular platforms, and much more. Plus, as a friend of Telehell, when you sign up with Libsyn, you get your first month of podcast hosting absolutely free! There has never been a better time than right now for you to start podcasting. Visit Libsyn.com and use code FRIEND, F-R-I-E-N-D. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N.com and use code FRIEND, F-R-I-E-N-D to get started and create your podcast today. Where the here did that voice come from? This summer special is also presented by these fine people. If you're looking for retro commercials from the 50s all the way up to the 90s and possibly some points beyond in the future, turn to Dave's Archives, also home to the TGIF live stream on Friday nights. Go to davesarchives.com. By RetroCirc on YouTube, home to the off-duty mind players and all those off-air commercials that he likes to put up so much from the 80s and 90s. Go to YouTube and type in RetroCirc, spelt with a Q at the end. And by the continuing financial support of our patrons at patreon.com slash podcast, including Mr. Cheeseball, Drew Drewski Mitchell, Rick Kalaki Jr., Robert Marquez, Chris Michaud, Meredith Morrissey, and Neil Weinstein. Thank you. in there. Uh, Sorry, folks. uh, Once feeding time happens with the goats, then they tend to do their business, and with a herd of a thousand to look after, it's uh, a lot of dirty, dirty business. As to be expected down here now that we've reached the uh, gluttony floor, which means we're that much closer to reaching the center of hell and also our season four recap, which is going to be happening very soon. <laughs> this one's got fuzz on it. Uh, anyway, uh, while we're waiting to get down there, uh, we'd like to present to you one of our Patreon shows. As a matter of fact, uh, this is one of our lengthier Patreon shows. Uh, it's because we covered an infomercial earlier this season, and we want you to listen to this because this one happens to be our personal favorite commercial of the damn for this year. It was the time when Sega, of all things, decided to put on an infomercial in 1994 and try to make it look like a hip and trendy show for the teens and the tweens and the kids with their Instagram cracker or whatever. I don't know what the kids are into these days. Anyway, um... Take a listen to uh, Absolutely Rose Street, 
And next week, listen in to find out if your suggestions for the whole manimal contest that we were doing on Twitter... We'll find out if uh, we get to read any of those, because if we do get to read any of those entries, you are going to win a prize. But our absolute favorite entry is going to win a $50 Amazon gift card. So tune in next week for that. But in the meantime, listen to this. Why did they not pack rubber sanitation gloves for this? A thousand goats. I'll be here forever scooping this shit up. Okay. I told you not on my shoes. Telehell presents <laughs> Premium Content of the Damned. Let's begin this one with a quick primer in what I'd like to call Infomercial 101. The purpose of an infomercial is a simple one. Advertisers buy 30 minutes worth of airtime, usually the dead space when local stations have nothing to put on their schedules, and then use that time to sell a given product directly to those who may have changed the channel by accident or fell asleep without setting the sleep timer on their TVs. For those who are wide awake, though, those 30 minutes are spent first by alerting you that the following is a paid program for whatever it is that's being sold to you. This is then followed by showing you how the product works, the phone number which you call to order the product, and then a few additional segments that show off said product's extra features, if any, followed by a few more flashes of the phone number. Maybe one more segment where people from a studio audience try out the product and give a testimonial that the product really works. One more flash of the phone number, and then a closing tag stating that the past 30 minutes was sponsored by the person who put up money to pay for the airtime. Ever since infomercials were created, that was pretty much their goal. Spend some time to convince you, the viewer, to spend some money. And for the most part, that's the way the world of infomercials has spun for many years. But then, in the 1990s, an additional component was added to infomercials in an effort to keep viewers from changing the channel. And we're going to use a clip from one example to try and elaborate what that extra element is. Bear with us. There is a point here. As far as I can tell, families have two kinds of people. The ones who want everything to stay the same, and the ones who want to spice things up a bit. I guess you can count me in the second group. Zoe, too. She's my sister. Frank? He's always up for something crazy. And Mom? She's a classic. Gramps loves opera, so you can count him in for some fun. And Schubert? <laughs> He's just cool. I guess in our family it was only Pop who was really set in his ways. Of course, we all thought that that would change once we got our new computer. Your ears don't deceive you. That was a clip from an infomercial. One that was a paid program for Apple computers back in their lean years before Steve Jobs returned to the fold. In an effort to get people to stay tuned throughout the entire show, the infomercial was cleverly disguised as a family melodrama complete with film-like and plot-driven production values that made you think for a second that maybe this was a rejected pilot to something that would air on the WB a few years later. 
all of which is going to be used to sell you a computer. This wouldn't be the first or even the last time that people would resort to scripted acting to try and convince you to buy something. Among one of the more well-known variants of this kind of infomercial was 1993's Philips Interactive CDI Media Player which, at the time, both the program and the player were actually considered state-of-the-art. And with the optional digital video cartridge, your CDI system will even play feature-length Hollywood movies. Movies? On a CD? Yes. May I ask your name? Phil. Phil. Phil, we'll talk more about the digital video cartridge in just one moment. But first, I want to continue demonstrating the ease of use of CDI. Both of these infomercials are a good example of how an infomercial and entertainment try to fuse themselves into becoming plot-driven infotainment. But the overall mission statement was still there, 30 minutes to sell the viewers on whatever it is that's being sold. While both of these and a handful of others are good candidates for us around here, they kind of pale in comparison to what it is that we're going to be looking at right now. In the fall of 1994, an up-and-coming ad agency known as Patrico Sonare and an equally up-and-coming production company called Impulse Productions convinced the Sega Corporation to do an infomercial touting the next generation of video game consoles that were about to hit the market at that point, particularly a redesigned Sega Genesis that would lock on to a redesigned Sega CD system, both of which would be topped off with the component that Sega would hope would put them into the lead of the console wars of the 1990s. 90s, the Sega 32X. All three subjects I'm eminently unqualified to talk about here since, truth be told, I was never really a hardcore gamer, but that's what they got Wikipedia for. Not unlike the infotainment shows for Apple and the CDI, this too was going to be a plot-driven program disguised as a commercial, the sum of which is this. A group of 20-somethings running a TV show about video games try to save it from a stereotypically good fella-ish TV producer who wants to cancel the show and put on a show about hairstyling starring his airhead of a girlfriend. The young people then try to make the best show that they ever put on, hilarity ensues, and it's all brought to you by Sega. You know, that old story. Little else is known about this program's production aside from a number of pieces of hearsay and conjecture. What I can tell you about this infomercial is that the powers that be behind it stopped at nothing to make sure that it was seen by the right demographics. Having strategically planned to have it aired daily on youth-based cable networks like MTV, VH1, and Comedy Central, among others, as well as the top 20 media markets on broadcast TV, mostly during late-night hours. They even took out ads in November 1994 issues of TV Guide in a way that made it seem like this was a brand new TV show that would premiere out of nowhere. Full disclosure, when I was still alive, it first aired on a Sunday afternoon on my local CBS affiliate in New York, possibly because the network had just lost the rights to football by that time, and Sunday afternoon TV tends to be a drag if there's no sports involved. But, get this, I digress. Furthermore, in an effort to appeal even more to their target demographic, the production company seemed to go out of its way to try and copy the styles of existing primetime shows that already did the appealing. Think shows like 90210, Melrose Place, and My So-Called Life, but with video games, questionable acting ability, and bad comedy, and you pretty much have a sense of what we're about to be in for. For reasons even we don't know, even though the show within the show was going to be called Game Beat, the actual title of this thing was going to be Absolutely Rose Street. 
either because that's where most of the story takes place, or maybe it's an inside reference to Sonic the Hedgehog character Amy Rose. We won't know for sure until we take a look. So, join us now on a brisk fall day in November of 1994, and if you were bored of watching sports on a Sunday afternoon, there's a good chance that you may have come across this instead. The following is a paid advertisement by Sega of America, but it was supposed to be my show. Styling with Stella. Certain people around here aren't playing fair. Okay, I can deal with that. We need to be small about this. So let's vote on it. My show or their show? When you see the 800 number come up, call me and I'll tell you what to do. <laughs> but pay attention, boys. I don't give my number out to just anyone. And already I have questions. Why would the phone number for this infomercial be the hookup to a call-in poll instead of actually selling you something? Granted, this show was meant to preview the Sega 32X that was probably weeks away from being released by that point, but that's exactly that. A preview. The Genesis and Sega CD had already been on the market by 1994, so why not use this opportunity to sell those systems at a special as-seen-on-TV price? That's a very good question! Don't answer that question just yet, because we've got a youth-baiting title sequence to analyze. And it's every bit a 90s nostalgia grenade as you could expect. Kids wearing their hats backwards, people doing extreme sporting activities, and of course, a buttload of polygonal delights that are meant to help people consume the latest from the Sega Corporation. And for good measure, bits and pieces of our infomercials villain and his wannabe Harley Quinn cosplayer to round things out. Act 1 begins with... Oh, I'm sorry, there seems to be a commercial break here in this infomercial. Wait, what? Why are there commercials in the middle of an infomercial? I don't mean those two-minute pieces where they give you the phone number and then they list off the bullet points of the product. I mean an honest-to-Satan 30-second commercial in the middle of what is already paid programming. One of which is a PSA. Which I won't knock 100% because PSAs are important especially this first one about the fragility of the environment. But then we get a commercial for Sega in the middle of what's essentially a commercial for Sega. The other day I had the weirdest dream. Everyone was after me, and they all had flaming corn dogs. And then I fell and hit my head. That's when the dream started. I dreamed I was a Sega CD. Everything was so real. Two minutes in and I already feel like I've taken a hit of ecstasy, which I think is just starting to become all the rage at raves in 1994. After that anomaly, we then get to the actual Act 1 of the show, where a big shot TV station manager is giving his marching orders to our main producer villain. You want me to produce that? It stinks! It's video crap! I want you to fix it up. I've got a sponsor who's breathing down my neck for a show for just that demographic. Look, it's a waste of time. These kids play video games all day long, they're brain dead. I can't work with that. Deep down? I got a feeling for these kids. Deep down, it's probably gas. Knock it off, Joe. It should be worth noting that our producer villain is played by the recently late actor, Eddie Mecca, who your parents, or possibly grandparents, may remember as Carmine Ragusa, a.k.a. the big ragu from Laverne and Shirley. You know, this guy? You know I'd go from rags to riches. 
wanted to mention him because chances are he's more than likely going to be the only famous name anybody will recognize in this. And I'm sure everybody who's appeared in this has gone on to durable roles in character acting, but damn if I can place any of our performers in a role that I recognize. Anyway, the big ragu visits what looks like an abandoned apartment building because I think that was a trend on 90s shows to have one's hangout take place there, where he meets the fresh-faced kids of Gamebead and pretty much lays it all out on the line for them. Your show sucks. Who asked you? Hey, look. I'm gonna give you punks the bottom line. Either get your show in gear, or we're gonna replace you with more responsible programming. You got that? On the station, I brought a senior citizen tag team wrestling. Max, no, you said help. So what'd you have in mind? Yeah, I can use some new cameras. Yeah, and how about some new deals for prototypes and games to review? And travel so we can get out and talk to some people. What about a new budget? Hey, hey, cut, 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 huh? What are we talking about here, huh? Video games, huh? The bing, the bong, he's up, he's down, he's in, he's out. I'm not throwing my money into the black hole here. How are you gonna make that interesting, huh? You can't. You gotta produce the show with what you got. We've got nothing. He's a smart kid. Hey, you're real bright. You must play video games, huh? Disregarding this head-scratching, jaw-dropper of a line that makes me think that the only video game he's ever played is Atari's Pong. Video games, huh? The bing, the bong, he's up, he's down, he's in, he's out. I'm not throwing my money into the black hole here. How are you gonna make that interesting? The kids try to find ways to make video games... interesting. The 32X, uh, the thing of adapter for uh, Genesis. Right, it's like a turbocharger. I heard that it makes the Genesis go 40 times faster. Get out of here, that's hype. Look, all I know is that it's new, and not many people have seen what it can do, including yours, too. Well, I think, Max, that we should find out all we can about this thing. So, challenge accepted, as the kids try to find out more about Sega's chance to keep the Genesis alive through, essentially, an expansion pack of sorts that will make the games look better by mid-1990s standards. But how do they get closer? Well, the rest of the crew take to the streets to see if any of 1994's Youth of America knows a thing or two about the 32X without using disposable buzzwords. What's the hottest thing right now? 32X. What have you heard about the 32X adapter? The 32-bit, better graphics, with it sound, it's more arcade games, more realistic games. I'm wondering, will Sega or Genesis die out? Yeah, I'm worried that they might make the Genesis games obsolete. I just wonder if they're gonna carry on the line. <laughs> that accomplished nothing! Good job! Meanwhile, thanks to some newfangled technology for 1994 known as the Intornet, the lady reporter tries to track down an executive at Sega who is pretty much under lock and key not to leak too much about the new hardware. As our lady reporter continues to do more digging, We are interested in finding out about the new games you're working on. See, Savage? Game beat. Thank you for emailing Sega. Your message is being forwarded. I'm being blown off by a computer. Oh, just wait till the rise of social media, kid. It'll do a lot more than blow you off. But then, just as it seems, she's getting nowhere. Seemingly at random, she's then bombarded with many flashing images of the future. Think Neo-knowing Kung Fu crossed with the pilot episode of Chuck, and you'll pretty much get what we're going for here. Wow. I hope he has a sense of humor. And now, these messages. 
Again, commercials and PSAs in the middle of a giant commercial. Though, I do admit, back when I was alive, I had a bit of a soft spot for the crash test dummies. Uh, the characters, not the grunge band. Don't be a dummy. Buckle your safety belt. Followed by another commercial for Sega. I'm guessing the reason why they're putting in the extra commercials is so that it can give you the sensation of actually watching a TV show. But since the TV show in question doesn't actually exist... That just raises further questions! So let's move on to Act 2, where, as the lady reporter manages to track down the Sega executive, we get a random fourth-dimensional rip in our TV screen reminding us to vote for either the video game show or the beauty show with the lady impersonating Hell's secretary. The only thing missing from that call to action is a place where you call in to make your vote. We'll put a pin in that oversight later on as we go forward with sniffing out the info in this infomercial. You should know what I'm working on. I mean, you've got the production schedule right in front of you. Well, yes, I do. And that would be Surgical Strike, Wirehead, and Fahrenheit for Sega CD, Virtua Racing Deluxe, Eternal Champions, and of course, Doom for the 32X, etc., etc. Everyone's read about them, but I've got a show to do. I can't talk about them. I've got to show them. And for what it's worth, that was a good example of showcasing the goods without actually seeing them. Some would call it more of a use of hypey buzzwords, but I prefer to call it a tease for Act 3. Meanwhile, let's check in on the rest of the crew. Now, Merrick, the first question I'd like to ask you is probably, how well is Doom going to convert from the PC to the 32X? Converting Doom from the PC to 32X was a really smooth transition. The game uh, remained pretty much the same. All the key elements are still in there. But the graphics, are they going to be there? Graphics are there, the speed's there, everything's there. You think of these games, what are your dreams? You don't want to know. Okay, more info in this infomercial, hopefully leading up to a big payoff, which we're about to see as the lady reporter shows her crew some 32X prototypes and just how state-of-the-art everything looks. Fasten your seatbelts, boys. Virtual Racing Deluxe. And it's as good as the arcade. We got our show! <laughs> we're gonna blow away! But just as it seems like the kids are on their way, we haven't heard from the big ragu in a while. How does he stand in the way? Is this the best you can do? I'm not impressed. I gotta be honest with you, this whole game thing doesn't work for me. It's a, it's a phase, like the hula hoops. Man, you don't know what you're talking about. Max! Hey! Hey, I know what I know. And what I know is, I gave you kids a shot, and you blew it. That's tough talk from the star of Blansky's Beauties, as the crew tries to work their way around the roadblock. Where are you going? Oh, wherever one goes and one quits. You're acting like a baby, Max. Yeah, well, maybe I am. But I've lost a show. I've lost you to some guy who knows Shakespeare. I don't have much going for me right now, so excuse me if I'm a little pissed off. Okay, now I have actual further questions. One, I'm not against having language on any TV show by any means, but for an infomercial, doesn't the use of hissed and sucks seem just a little gratuitous, even though they're clearly aiming for Generation Xers and budding millennials? Two, when was it established in this show that the slacker guy and the lady reporter were both an item? Three, who cares that they may have been an item because this is not a real show and there's no reason to be invested in these characters in the first place. They're only here to sell you shit. But sure, you might as well manufacture the drama along with the manufactured goods. Look, sorry for being a jerk. Well, you are being a jerk. You gotta quit thinking only about yourself, Max. Gets in your way. Always has ever since I've known you. It's not 
not easy. I know, I know, but if you take no for an answer, you lose everything you really love. You? The show. Besides, revenge is a dish best served cold. For the sake of breaking up the unnecessary melodrama, let me revise that sentence for you. Revenge is a dish best served with pinto beans and muffins. As the crew try to get their revenge on the big ragu. Honey, what are you doing here? Hey, sweetheart, look, I couldn't wait to tell you. Oh, there's the phone number we have to call to cast our votes whether or not one non-existent TV show is better than another non-existent TV show. And it only took, what, 20 minutes to do? You know what? Just out of curiosity, it's been nearly 30 years since this infomercial aired, and I'm kind of curious as to whether or not this phone number still works. Eh, what the here? It's an 800 number. Won't cost me nothing. Let's give it a try. As we now get to better know a bimbo. Ladies and gentle demons, meet Stella. We're prepping your show. I killed Game Beat. You did? Yeah. Well, what are you going to tell your boy? Don't worry about him. I can handle him. Look, we'll surprise him. Trust me. In the end, he'll thank us. Oh, Joey! (laughs) I can see it already. Styling with Stella. Beauty secrets for the sophisticated woman mm. with your host, Stella Lightwood. Yeah, am I good or what, oh, huh? <laughs> and while the notion of this paradox and peroxide is making me actually want to watch YouTube makeup tutorials instead, on to our third non-commercial commercial break. Though, I kind of want to pause for a minute because this particular anti-drug PSA always stuck with me for some reason. Hey man, what you do? What do I need? What do I need? I need to graduate. I need a job when I grow up. I need a future. I need to laugh. I need to have fun. I need to be a kid. I need to be healthy. I need a chance. I need peace. I need friends who care about me. Most of all, what I need is for you to get lost. The next time a pusher asks you what you need, let him know. And the drug crisis was solved forever. Now, more fun with blonde Betty Boo. Do men with hair plugs have to look like they got doll hair? And ladies, tips for power hair in the office. Check it out next on my new show, Stylin' with Stella. I've now forgotten all my times tables thanks to those 15 seconds as we reach our climax where the Game Beat crew try to pull the rug from underneath the big ragu. But before they do, they invoke that old ragtag team cliche of putting on a big show. 
or at least a big one by mid-90s disaffected youth standards. Hi again, everyone. I'm Christina Savage. And this is Crazy Max Jackson coming at you from absolutely Rose Street. How do you like your new look? Oh, so Rose Street is, in fact, the place where they tape the show within the show. Why that name? Who knows and who cares? Let's hear about the good stuff. Let's get gaming. We're reporting gaming experiences very close to arcade level for the home. Smoother graphics, faster gameplay, and more fun. Star Wars, the ultimate space shooter, comes home with a brand new title. Star Wars Arcade. And for all you Doomers out there, now you can play Doom on the 32X. And hey, it's as fast as a 486. Now we started the show with a question. Is 16-bit dead? Dum, da, dum, dum. Does the 32X kill it? It's alive! You can't kill this thing! Yeah, but in 95, you'll see Sega keeps breaking new ground in 16-bit gaming action. And in the new game, Sonic and Knuckles, Sega introduces Knuckles. Knuckles is an echidna. What? It's a real animal. Look it up. What's cool about this game is a little surprise. You can plug it in other Sonic games and it's amazing! Knuckles becomes a character in previous games, bringing new moves and totally changing the gameplay. When you lock on Sonic 3 to Sonic and Knuckles, there's a hidden game. The floating island level becomes a huge 34 mega epic! So, in conclusion, a lot of stuff that was considered cool to the youth of America back then and is pretty much considered classic in this day and age. Again, I'm pretty much unqualified to get into video game histrionics, but let's just say that the stuff they showed was, at the very least, interesting. But enough of things that are interesting. How do the kids stop the otherwise arbitrary bad guy and his hoe on the go? By pulling an old Texas switch on the videotapes needed to run the show. Thanks to the Sega executive, he goes into the TV studio. With the worst security you could think of. Switches the tapes and lets the chips fall where they may. All without any consequences. Except, of course, for the big ragu. Look, I can explain everything. Great show, Joe. Oh, the sponsors loved it, loved it. We've been getting calls all day. I don't know how you do it. You must have a way with kids. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> oh my God, what a great show. I think we've got a hit on our hands. I want you to produce 26 more. Here, have a cigar. By the way, the sponsors loved the joke about the bimbo. <laughs> what a stroke of genius. <laughs> Leave her in. So, all's well that ends well. The Game Beat crew plan their next show that never happens. The boyfriend and the Sega executive make peace, even though there wasn't really any war to begin with. And the big ragu gets his comeuppance. Honey, you'd be great at it if you cut your nose, you could play video games. <laughs> Look, honey, come on, honey, sweetheart. Joey, you just trust me. You want to take this one, Steve? What the hell is that? The infomercial reportedly ran from November through mid-December of 1994, possibly in an effort to drive up sales for all things Sega for that year's Christmas rush. Though in retrospect, the infomercial may have also been seen as Sega's last hurrah, because one year later, guess what would come along to topple some of their dominoes, so to speak?
that's another story that will never be told, because there was never a follow-up infomercial that showed off the range of the Sega Saturn. As for this show, where does Absolutely Rose Street get slotted in the overnight least buyout time of Telehell? Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A, start. That should grant you unlimited lives in the nine circles. Limbo, lust, gluttony, greed, wrath, heresy, violence, fraud, treachery. As a standalone program, completely ignoring the fact that this was one giant commercial for Sega, the overall presentation of the infomercial was certainly passable for a show to be aimed at teens, tweens, and twenty-somethings. I wouldn't go comparing it to Saved by the Bell, but it certainly tries to be a show from when TNBC used to exist. Granted, the big ragu displayed a number of generic characteristics of being a bad guy. Everything from lusting over his bleach-blonde stylist girlfriend to implementing treachery to stop a bunch of kids from doing their show their way in an effort to get said Blondie's TV show on the air. And possibly reaping incredibly large, uncalled for, and even greedy profits to do so. With all the efforts being in vain as the kids stop Ragu's plans, leading to his lady friend dumping him in a fit of wrath. But as an infomercial, they could have done just a little better to stick the landing. For starters, throwing in all those PSAs and other Sega commercials in order to make it look like a so-called real show was beyond distracting, though not as distracting as claiming to be an infomercial and showing off the things that you're selling, but not actually selling things to those who are watching. At least the phone number for the Apple Macintosh ad led you to a place where you can order a computer, just as Philips CDI had a phone number that could lead you to buying a fancy CD player. All this had was a phone-in poll whose phone number we saw twice during the show. A poll which we never knew the outcome of, though considering the subject matter, I don't think it was ever going to be a close one. Simply put, what was the point of spending 30 minutes to sell you something via direct response advertising when the number is going to lead you to a brick wall? Sure, the ad's actual purpose might have been to buy Sega stuff at a retailer, but... Say it with me. That just raises further questions! These 30 minutes turn out to be a waste of time that leaves the viewers feeling a little cheated with a lingering sense of fraud. Not to mention heresy over messing with the overall formula of what an infomercial is supposed to do. You see the product, you see the phone number, you call in to order, money is then exchanged for goods and services. Those are the primal forces of nature since the infomercial was invented. Sega's Absolutely Rose Street earned six out of nine circles of telehell. Long story short, these 30 minutes were just too radical a departure from the tried and true, no matter how appealing it could have been to other people watching. Overall, if the execution was adjusted just a little, the infomercial might have been more effective. Thankfully for the passage of time, this moment in television could probably be seen more as an experiment, unlike other infomercials that do what they're meant to do, but somehow wind up a little too chaotic. There is actually a rock singer called Sato Gold, who sings his song, Santo Gold, in the movie Blood Circus. You will see and hear Santo Gold perform a little later on. But that's another story. Telehell was written, produced, edited, and narrated by me. 
Justin Hart. All clips used in this program are protected under the Fair Use Doctrine of the U.S. Copyright Act of 1976, and all clips used come courtesy of their respective companies and owners. Some of the music used in this program comes courtesy of YouTube and their audio library service. Telehell is a production of Horton Road and is distributed by Libsyn. Thank you.